I feel like this is going to be a reunion with one of my besties. It is time to risk it all with Dan Riskin. It's good for you overall. Yeah, this is great. This is, it's a dream, man. The headline is risking it all. Yeah, I think that's where we're going with this. With Dan Riskin. Risking it all. My old friend, how's it going? Oh, good now that you're back. I've, I've missed you, man. How's your summer been? You My summer has been great. I've been trying to get fit, doing the running. You know, at, at our vintage, I, you know, the, the fitter you try to get, the worse you feel. That's the way I am. Yes. The more exercise I do, the more I feel like a truck hit me in the morning. It's brutal. It, aging really does stink. Just it really stinks. does. But I think there's really no way around it. You just If you don't do the running and you don't feel like you got right. hit by a truck, then you start to look like you got hit by a truck. There, so you got to stay on it. There's a guy at work that I work with here at CTV. He's the greatest guy, and he doesn't do any exercise. And <laughs> and he, he looks at me every day. He's like, hey, I noticed you're limping. You're okay. And I'm like, I didn't. went for a run this morning. I worked out. And he's like, you know, you're always so sore. I never do exercise, and I feel great. I, you might be doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's wisdom there. I mean, you only live once, so you got to pick how you spend your time. But you you get that you get that high, right? When you go running or when you work out, or when I like, eat some gummies. No, no, well, no. Sure. I... <laughs> that's the, that's the easier way. That's the easier that's way to the get the high. But no, that that running high, like that that yeah, the endorphins, and that's I find it's the funniest thing. If I don't get a run in for a couple of days, I start to get really grumpy. And my wife looks at me and she's like, "You know, if you went for a run, I'm like, I know if I went for a run, but and then I go for the run and I feel great, and then I'm mad because she was right, and I, you know, I just I should have just done it earlier. You know, so, I really my mental health really benefits from the run. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, Dan. Ruskin. Mental health for me, 100 uh, percent exercise. If I don't have it, I can't do my job. I'm just not as happy a person. But I have this theory that you know how when you get out of shape. You know, you just stop doing it for a while for whatever reason. I always think that there's this two weeks where you are dragging your body like a dead weight sled to try to get up, work out or go for a run or do some exercise or stretch. And you just dread it. But then if you can cross over the two weeks and you do it steadily, then the sled moves forward and it kind of your body's kind of drags you. It's like, hey, man, I need this. Yeah. You got to serve me. And then it's kind of dragging you. And that's where you want to be. You want to be right. so your body's like, hey, you got to get going. You're jumping. And my wife will say to me, you need to go running, like get out. Yeah. And my yeah, body's saying it too. And But it's hard, right? Because, you know, your, your natural propensity is to, to not want to do anything. Um, yeah. I, by the way, I had this guy on the world record holder who just broke the record for free diving. He just joined Arnaud Gerald. Ooh. 120 meters, held his breath for three minutes, Ooh. 34 seconds, 393.7 feet. Can you imagine free diving? So scary. I mean, I you see the videos, right? They come back up to the surface and, oh, their ears have popped or like there's blood in their breath. And like just, the body is not meant to do those things. Those people are absolutely just pushing the limit of what a human body can do. I mean, listen, I love holding my breath at the bottom of a pool as much as anybody. That's great. And that's all fun. And I particularly am obsessed with trying to blow bubble rings. Do you ever do that? You, this so is, when well, dolphins no. do this too. Okay. okay, all right. so okay welcome. Welcome to my world. Every go. time I go underwater, I got to get a mask on. So it'll plug my nose for me and I can see underwater. So one of those like snorkeling masks, you get down to the bottom pool. And then if you point your face upward and you push air out, just go, Puh, yeah, 
if you do it just right, instead of a bunch of bubbles coming out, a perfect ring emerges from your face. And then it goes up towards the surface and it maintains its perfection, spinning at the edges. And it's like this, it looks like a smoke ring from, from Gandalf. And if you really, wow. if you have still water, you got to like kind of get underwater without disturbing the pool too much. But if you can get a good one, it'll go all the way up to the surface like this. And it grows as it goes up. It's so fun and it's so hard. And it's, it's like, it's all I can think about when I get in the pool. So my wife I'm doing that. Like, I am. That is fantastic. Oh, you, got it. you got it. I mean, I'm sure there's YouTube videos all about it, but dolphins even do this too. They'll blow bubble rings and then swim through them. They're, they're really good at it. And so I, I try to channel my inner dolphin. You know, for you know, me, that's I, first of all, I love this. I'm not sure if this is the best conversation I'm having as an adult or when I was younger, I feel like this is like a stoner conversation that, you know, you might've had in universe. It's like, <laughs> well, then Hey man, do you ring. ever blow yeah. those rings in the, in the water? It's like, no, we <laughs> should do it, but there's no pool. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, speaking of water, um, I, I want to talk about the droughts going on, Dan Riskin. Oh, the extreme yeah. heat, the melting glaciers, but all over the world, this is happening. And what's happening, I mean, I don't want to get into the climate change, although I think it's important. But what's happening is shipwrecks and dead bodies and villages and ancient things are being revealed all over the world. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, as the water level drops from these droughts especially in europe right now your things are being exposed that have been underwater and thus hidden um so there's a, a great big nazi ship in italy in the river po that's been well underwater and totally invisible except now it's emerged out of the water um and there are a whole bunch of these things lake mead of course in the southwestern u.s uh is having a terrible drought uh that that water level is very low and one of the things that emerged there was a barrel with a dead body in it so oh my god really the mob knows. used to sink people in lake me and now it's yeah, coming to the well, surface there you go there you go and so you know that's that's coming up skeletons in the closet or skeletons in the barrel as it may be starting to emerge there so you know cold cases may be solved with dna technology who knows but this is part of it and i think the what really drives it home is if you look uh in germany uh along the rhine and the elba rivers uh they have these things called hunger stones and it's uh Hungersteine, I think, if you'll pardon my terrible German. And these are these stones that are underwater most of the time. But when they emerge, it's because of a drought. And that is always followed historically by starvation and failed crops. And so there are etchings on those stones that say things like, if you're reading this, things are not good. So there's one inscription uh, from the Czech Republic uh, from 1616. And it says, if you see me, weep. And, and basically what it's saying is like, if this rock is exposed, you know that you're probably going to starve in the next few years, right? And so it's a really scary sort of ominous thing. And a lot of these things last surfaced in 2018 uh, because there was a drought then. But this current drought in Europe could be the worst in 500 years, uh, according to some experts. And so, uh, you know, we, of course, have a lot of sort of uh, trade and things that can help mitigate the worst of these kinds of, uh, you know, you're not dependent on the the fields immediately adjacent to yourself anymore. If you live in Germany, you can have food shipped to you from other places. But it's certainly a, a warning that those those landscapes are not operating the way they typically do. Talk about a haunting thing. These hunger stones, like if you could read me weep, it's yeah. like holy machina. It's like that tap on the shoulder from the ghosts of history. It's like, do you know what's happening? Literally history talking to us, literally history giving us a pretty bloody scary warning. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, for me, I thought about like, if you can read this, you're driving too close to me or something like that. Yeah, like, it's, right. It, it, but it's the same idea, right? Like if you're reading this, something bad has happened. You should not be reading this or, or something's gone wrong. And so the idea that these these landmarks have been buried underwater 
uh, for you know hundreds of years, just sitting there quietly, and, and there are initials on them. The people that wrote them, uh, that you know, who knows what those initials. Stood now, now for. some people say, "Oh, that's proof that climate change is not you know it's happened 500 years ago." That's not true. This is different. Like yeah. the United well, States, literally the southwest of the United States is drying up. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, those, there have been droughts in the past. Absolutely. It's just that you can look for broad scale patterns. That's why you don't just sort of like look at what the weather is today. You look at the graph over time and you can definitely see that the world is getting hotter, that droughts are becoming more extreme, that storms are getting bigger. And it's exactly the kinds of patterns that have been predicted for a long time by climate models. And so it's not like a random, oh, oh, it's going in this direction. Didn't expect that. But now that it is, I guess I'll just follow that. It's that people have been saying, you're going to start seeing these kinds of trends and they're going to look like these kinds of numbers numbers and we're seeing exactly what's been predicted uh, by these models and right. so uh, by the way the, to believe them. The, the chinese are practicing a practice called cloud seeding do you know that to start droughts they're trying to seed clouds to induce rainfall that's what they're yeah. doing so yeah. I, and, we could talk I mean, about i know we got to take a break but i will talk like how do you actually induce that i want to talk about that because sure. cloud seeding is crazy but also there's kind of a weird Jurassic Park thing going uh, on. Uh, They've uh, resurrected yeah. an animal that's been extinct since 1936, the Tasmanian tiger. So we're going to take a break. We're going to risk it all with Dan Riskin. He's back. He's fit. He's sore. He's brilliant. <laughs> he's and old. he's got the story of the resurrecting of an extinct animal and how to seed clouds to induce rain. Is that crazy or is that the future like Dan, I don't even know what the hell we're living in, but the world's getting crazier. All right. So Jurassic Park, when we come back with Dan Riskin, stay with us, folks. This is getting just starting to get good. Welcome back to the big show. We are risking it all with Dan Riskin, who is, of course, the mad genius of science, the uh, CTV science and technology specialist, the bat expert. Um, We're talking droughts. We're talking resurrection. Wow. I I mean, this is a very biblical day. the Chinese are doing something that the Israelis have done, the UAE has done, the Americans have done. They're seeding clouds. They're like shooting stuff, like particles up into the sky to either extend the life of clouds and make rain or to create rain. Um, what are they doing and does it work? Yeah, it well, it does work, and but what it does—I mean, you can't make more water get up into the air. But when you've got clouds and the, the, the you have some idea when you want the rain to come out of them, or instead of just staying up in the clouds, you fly an airplane through, and that airplane releases a little bit of chemicals. Uh, silver iodide is one that's used. Uh, potassium iodide, uh, other things like that, and th- those those chemicals—it's a very small amount, and they don't really have any negative impact on the ecosystem. So that's been tested. Uh, but once that happens, those become uh, these nucleation sites for ice to form. So, in other words, it's like you've got the, the, it's ready to make rain, it's ready to start falling, but it just needs something to to get that chemical start. That that little. It's almost like a super cooled liquid that you have to mm. sort of sort of crystallize. And then once the crystal first appears, then it sort of takes off on its own. But it's been waiting for that activation energy. And, and it so, kind of works, right? Like, I, like it yeah. can improve rain from like 10 to 30%, I read. Yes. And, and so the Chinese now are doing this. And the thing about – people get freaked out by this one. People don't like the idea of cloud seeding. They think that, you know, the clouds are going to rain when the clouds want to rain. And don't start playing God with that stuff. And this uh, this theme of playing God certainly comes into our next topic as well about bringing animals back from extinction. But, you know, it there, it's interesting because a lot of times a technology is available and it works and it's safe and it's okay to use. But the the public backlash against it – 
is such that you really have to ask yourself whether it's in the best interest of science or scientists to be pushing that agenda if it's worth the cost, right? I mean, when it comes to things like vaccines, you know, a lot of people push back against vaccines, but it's worth it to have that fight because vaccines do work and they save lives. And by helping get people vaccinated, you save more lives than just the people who are vaccinated because you decrease the amount that a virus or or a, an illness is in the population. So that fight's worth having. But with cloud seeding, I feel like it really, it, it, it attracts a a lot of people who really don't like it. And so uh, I wonder whether it's really worth all the, the, the sort of negative press that scientists get. Well, perhaps we can talk about the playing God and the resurrection of the Tasmanian tiger, who I, I, we thought was extinct in 1936. What, what is going on here? Well, it is, it has been extinct in 1936, but it is the Bigfoot of Australia. So people see it all the time and report it, but like, it's always a grainy video and you look at it carefully and you're like, that's a dingo. But this is a thing that looks like a dog that went extinct in 1936. The last one died in a zoo after they'd hunted them all to extinction and it died unceremoniously. They threw it in the garbage after it died. Conservation biology just wasn't as much a thing back in the day. And uh, this thing, what's what's amazing about the thylacine, as its its proper name is thylacine, it's also called the Tasmanian tiger because it had stripes, or Tasmanian wolf because it looks like a dog. It just the thing that's amazing is how much it looks like a dog. This is a kangaroo's cousin that has converged on dogs, and so because it's under similar selective pressures through evolution its body's been shaped into the shape of a dog because a dog shape is perfect for what a dog does. And this thing was doing the same thing in Australia and became very dog-like. So it has the, the, the limbs that you would expect, the pads on the, on the feet and the, the dimensions of the legs are the same. It's got that long snout. It's got the ears that are up on top that look just like a husky or something like that. I mean, it really looks like a dog, but it's not a dog at all. It's one of the most amazing examples of convergent evolution you could ever imagine. And so this thing went extinct in the thirties. People have really missed it. It because it played an important role in ecosystems in Australia, not to mention Tasmania, which is where they last lived. And uh, people want it back. And so the people who are, you know, who have the technology to, to do DNA manipulation and stuff like that are talking about whether they could apply this, whether they could take the DNA from pelts and things and specimens of these Tasmanian tigers that are 100 years old or more and get the DNA sequence and then copy that DNA sequence and put it into a living marsupial's uh, cells. And then clone those cells, get those cells to grow, and then make a little embryo, and then put that embryo into a mom, some other marsupial that is able to carry it, and then grow it a little bit and uh, see if they can make a Tasmanian tiger come back from the dead. It's, It's possible. All the steps should work. They work on paper. It's just nobody's done it. Now, if they do it, what else could they bring back? Well, there's, I mean, some of the people that are on this grant are also on the grant that's supposed to bring mammoths back. So mammoths are one one thing. But the, the thing that makes this hard is you don't just like take the DNA sequence and then make a dinosaur like in Jurassic Park. You can't just... You can't just do that. First of all, old DNA usually has big gaps in it. So you're, 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 you've got a gappy DNA sequence and you got to figure out what to fill those gaps with. You could fill it with whatever the closest living cousin of it has and, and hope that works, but it, you might not get it right. But the really hard part of this is that once you have that embryo, it needs to grow in the right environment. Mom matters. And so you couldn't take a dog and grow it inside a cat's body. Uh, because cats and dogs are different enough that the the stuff that the mom would give that growing uh, embryo would not be the right chemistry. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be the right signals for it to grow properly. And so you need to have a very close cousin for that to work. And the closest living cousin of the Tasmanian wolf is a tiny mouse-sized marsupial called a fat-tailed dunnert. 
They look, it looks like a mouse. It looks like a little jumping mouse. They're cute as all get out, but they're marsupials. Another example of convergent evolution, not a mouse, it's a marsupial. And so their plan is to get that little ball of Tasmanian wolf cells and then grow it inside this mouse-sized marsupial. And if it were a normal mammal, that would never work because it would very quickly become too big and it would you know, kill the mother by growing too big. But the thing about marsupials is they give birth after like three weeks and then the, the animal lives in the pouch and feeds on milk. That's what sets marsupials apart from other mammals. And so even though the embryo of the Tasmanian wolf will ultimately be way bigger than its mom, if this works, it can grow inside mom's womb because it's only for a couple of weeks until it's just the, you know, the size of a grain of rice or something like that. So when could we know if they're going to get this thing? Well, the, the thing about this technology, especially with re relevance to mammoths, that's where it's usually discussed, is we're always like two years from it happening. It's been like that for 20 years. Right. So it, we're always just two years. And so right now we're seeing a lot of press and, and the people that sort of have promised to do this are getting a ton of interviews and you're seeing it everywhere. But really... I mean, it's very hard to estimate when this is going to happen, but it does seem like a when not if situation because all the pieces are there and it's like a fun challenge for a smart person to try to take on. And ultimately, somebody's going to be able to do it. And so it's just a question of when that happens and where it happens. And then what do we do once we have that amazing power? A lot of people think it's a terrible use of resources. We have a whole bunch of endangered species. And if you're going to put money into saving things, save the ones that are still alive instead of trying to bring back things from the dead. But that's a debate that uh, that has lots of space. That's why more money goes to like male, curing male pattern baldness and a lot of childhood diseases, right? right? Like, like this is what it is. Right. Uh, Dan Riskin, you are the best. I love what this is like a double dose of Dan because it was the first time we've chatted in a dog's age. We're past the dog days of summer, but we're coming into the new season. Welcome back. Stay healthy. Stay well. And uh, I'll talk about science playing God with you anytime. Thank you, my friend. That sounds good. Thanks, man. I always enjoy talking to you. Welcome back. Good to be with you. Yeah, Dan Riskin. Man, I tell you, when I talk to Dan, like my brain kind of is like... Poof. 